Section 13 of the Central Period of the Middle Age, 918 to 1273, by Beatrice A. Lees. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8 The Twelfth Century Renaissance. The monastic and educational reforms of the eleventh century were but the prelude to that great revival of religion and learning that wonderful deepening and broadening of the stream of human culture which has been called the twelfth century renaissance the new life first made itself felt in a movement of monastic expansion and reorganization in which cluny fallen from her early purity had to yield to younger rivals the last years of the eleventh century and the opening of the twelfth century were marked by the foundation of many new religious orders offshoots from the reformed cluniac benedictinism but distinguished from the original congregation by special individual characteristics the order of grandmont ten seventy three to ten seventy six preserved the cluniac congregational idea of affiliation or federation but followed no fixed system the order might possess neither land nor churches nor any animals except bees the monks lived on alms or like the later mendicant friars begged their daily bread about ten eighty four st bruno a german founded the carthusian order which had its first home in a rocky mountain valley near grenoble in dauphine bruno retained the congregational idea but he tried to unite it with the idea of the hermit life the carthusians were communities of solitaries they had common buildings and a common rule but each monk had his separate cell where he worked ate and slept and lived in almost perpetual silence a life of prayer and meditation a third order founded at fontevrault by a breton robert d'abrissel combined religious houses for men and women in one organization over which in honor of the blessed virgin a woman presided as abbess a similar idea is found in the one english order founded by gilbert of sempringham in the first half of the twelfth century a period which also saw the institution of the order of the trappists more important than all in its influence on society was the great cistercian order in 1098 robert a monk of molem founded the abbey of citeaux near dijon for the strict and literal observation of the benedictine rule under the masterly direction of the second abbot the englishman stephen or harding the monastery became the centre of a widespread religious order in 1119 the pope sanctioned the charter of charity carta caritatis the constitution which stephen had devised for cito and its branches the congregational idea was maintained all the houses of the order were affiliated directly or indirectly to the central abbey and were subject to supervision and visitation but the absolute power of the chief abbot was limited by the introduction of an aristocratic element the abbots of the first four daughter houses of the order la ferte eleven thirteen pontigny eleven fourteen clairvaux eleven fifteen and mormont eleven fifteen were empowered in case of need to admonish the abbot of citeaux 
and to depose him in a general chapter the cistercians carried the old benedictine principles to excess they introduced asceticism even into the sacred rites of worship their churches were bare and plain their vestments of linen or fustian their holy vessels of silver their crosses of wood stained-glass windows pictures and images were prohibited and the divine services were celebrated with the utmost simplicity their monasteries also were severe in style and situated in remote valleys forests or marshy places far from all civilization they wore garments of undyed wool woven from the fleeces of their own sheep hence they were called white or grey monks in contradistinction to the black benedictines as an early satirist of the order unkindly hints they suggested those false prophets in sheep's clothing who within were ravening wolves living thus withdrawn from the world in hardship and self-mortification the cistercians seemed to be concerned with the salvation of their own souls rather than with the regeneration of humanity yet perhaps no monastic body has done more for the material welfare and social development of christendom than the cistercian order they even more than the benedictines were the first settlers the pioneers of the waste places of western europe they were the founders of the great wool trade the sheep farmers of the early middle ages noble and peasant clad in the same rude dress worked side by side in clearing and cultivating the land draining marshes tending flocks and herds and in the words of a twelfth-century writer turning thickets into cornfields and osier beds into vineyards the order spread with amazing rapidity among all classes and in all the countries of europe as early as eleven fifteen st bernard went forth from cito to found the daughter house of clairvaux there were soon two thousand cistercian monasteries and nunneries in existence each with some five or six dependent cells or granges before the first half of the twelfth century was at an end william of malmesbury an english benedictine could write the cistercian order is now both believed and asserted to be the surest road to heaven the cistercian monks at the present day are a model for all monks a mirror for the diligent a spur to the indolent another order the regular canons or austin canons was instituted to introduce a stricter discipline into the chapters of cathedral and collegiate churches the austin canons called after st augustine of hippo formed the link between the monks proper or regular clergy and the non-monastic or secular clergy they were clerks who led the life of monks who were bound by a rule and took the threefold monastic vow before long communities or congregations of the order were established the regular canons were organized in religious houses governed by abbots the two most famous abbeys of canons were st victor at paris and premontre near laon which was founded in the twelfth century by the german st norbert the new apostle of the order norbert saw in a vision the site of his famous abbey the premontre pratum monstratum the field shown or revealed a lonely marsh in a wild forest here he planted his white-robed order of clerks who combined the pastoral care of souls the parish work of the secular clergy with the personal asceticism and self-denial of the monk 
when the emperor lothar made norbert archbishop of magdeburg he founded a premonstratensian house in his cathedral city which became a centre for mission work among the slavs the whole spirit of the reformed benedictinism its mystic fervour its passionate zeal its fanatical self-mortification found expression in saint bernard abbot of clairvaux ten ninety one to eleven fifty three the typical monk of the best days of monasticism a man to be held in undying remembrance the mirror of honest conversation the events of the first half of the twelfth century group themselves round st bernard as about a natural centre born in ten ninety one in the midst of the investiture controversy he died in eleven fifty three at the opening of the reign of frederick barbarossa it was he who ended the papal schism of eleven thirty and won general recognition for innocent the second the pope eugenius the third a cistercian monk was his pupil and friend he preached the second crusade and induced the emperor conrad the third to take the cross he was the chief founder of the order of the templars and their rule was to a great extent his work though he was ardent in the cause of religious and moral reform he was always the champion of orthodoxy and the determined opponent of innovations in doctrine and of heresy of every kind st bernard was a burgundian of noble birth the son of a brave and chivalrous father a knight of fontaine near dijon and of a devout and tender mother fragile in body and sensitive in spirit bernard early turned from the turmoil of the world to the repose of a religious life his brothers his kinsmen and his friends moved by his exhortations followed him to the monastery of citeaux and women hid their husbands and sons lest they should become converted to monasticism by the persuasive words of the fiery young preacher at citeaux bernard threw himself actively into the life of labour and worship and carried abstinence and self-denial even beyond the strict requirements of the rule when in eleven fifteen a new community was started he became the abbot of the daughter house the rude building in a lonely valley which was destined to grow into the great monastery of clairvaux the abbot's cell in an angle between the stairs and the roof was so low that a man could scarcely stand upright in it his bed was of planks with logs for pillows his seat was roughly hewn out of the wall from this humble retreat bernard went forth to dictate to popes and emperors and to stir the whole of western europe by the force of his eloquence and the charm of his personality miracles were soon attributed to him he was supposed to have the power of healing the sick and of casting out devils his preaching it was said could arouse the sleeping and might also quicken the dead something of the secret of his influence may be gathered from his own writings treatises sermons and letters and from the stories told of him by his biographers in these he shows himself vehement and yet gentle inspired and poetic yet shrewd and racy rhetorical and fanciful yet weighty and serious he reduced his body to a shadow by austerities and so detached himself from the world of sense that he could drink oil for water without noticing the difference yet he was a friend to animals and a lover of nature and could write to a pupil you will find more in woods than in books 
trees and stones will teach you what you could never learn from masters inflexible even to cruelty in his treatment of heretics he was nevertheless the protector of persecuted jews but with all these seeming inconsistencies he remained the single-minded and devoted son of the church which canonized him after his death he was the embodiment of the orthodox religious spirit of the age and great modern historian giesebrecht has traced his influence to his gift for expressing the thoughts that lay more or less consciously in the minds of all his contemporaries the three great events in which st bernard's public activity was chiefly seen were the papal schism of eleven thirty the struggle with the philosophical heretic abelard and the second crusade six years after the failure of the unfortunate expedition to the holy land three years after the death of his friend suger abbot of st denis the abbot of clairvaux passed away raising his dove-like eyes to heaven he was wrote the chronicler otto of friesingen venerable in life and manners skilled in the knowledge of letters renowned for signs and wonders side by side with this quickening of the orthodox religious life went a development of the spirit of free inquiry and speculation which led to heresy and revolt against the old traditional beliefs in the middle of the eleventh century beringar the schoolmaster or scholasticus of the cathedral church of tours had questioned the accepted doctrine of the eucharist and had been confuted by lanfranc archbishop of canterbury and forced to recant somewhat later the bold thinker roussillon the herald of the renaissance attacked the doctrine of the trinity and was answered by st anselm who taught that belief must come before understanding credo ut intelligam beringar and roussillon were the precursors of the far greater abelard a restless many-sided brilliant genius the typical child of the twelfth century renaissance peter abelard the eldest son of a noble breton family was possessed from his childhood by a burning zeal for knowledge which led him to give up all else in its pursuit he has been called the knight-errant of dialectic or logic the favourite subject of medieval study i scoured the provinces he wrote of himself hastening wherever i heard that the study of this art logic flourished in order to argue and dispute he worked under the most renowned teachers of the day roussillon william of champeau the logician of the cathedral school of paris and anselm the theologian of laon everywhere he came as a disturbing element to show himself wiser than his masters and to expose the weak points in their systems of philosophy his own school on the mont saint genevieve at paris was crowded with eager students and the fame of his lectures drew scholars from all parts of civilized europe when a romantic and unhappy passion for his pupil and future wife eloisa drove him from paris he became a monk at st denis yet he continued to dispute and lecture till in eleven twenty one the council of soissons condemned his opinions as unorthodox in eleven twenty two abbot suger permitted him to retire from st denis to a solitary place at quincey near nogent in champagne where he built himself a little oratory of reeds and thatch 
and dedicated it to the paraclete the comforter even here students thronged around him and the lonely oratory was soon the centre of a cluster of rude huts and cabins after a short experience of this novel kind of hermit life abelard was appointed abbot of st gildas in his native brittany here among savage and unruly monks in a wild and desolate country he dragged out several miserable years until he succeeded in escaping from his uncongenial surroundings and resuming his lectures in paris to this period apparently belong many of the logical and philosophical works which have made him famous he tried to steer a middle course between the extreme views of conflicting schools of philosophy but he alarmed the orthodox party by his daring methods of thought he was not afraid to question he would not accept conclusions until they had been tested by reason by doubting he wrote we are led to inquire by inquiry we perceive the truth this fearless trust in human reason as a guide to truth brought upon him the enmity of saint bernard the champion of unquestioning faith and of submission to the authority of the church condemned by the council of sens and by pope innocent the second abelard found a refuge in the abbey of cluny renouncing the tumult of schools and lectures he chose for himself a lasting dwelling-place in eleven forty two he ended his chequered career in a cluniac priory at chalon he was buried at the paraclete his former oratory now transformed into a nunnery under the rule of eloisa for the moment saint bernard and the orthodox party had triumphed but the final victory was destined to fall to the supporters of free thought and rational inquiry the devout monk peter the venerable abbot of cluny could write of abelard that he was the servant of christ and truly christ's philosopher his pupils remembered him as an illustrious teacher admired by all men when in eleven forty eight at the council of reims st bernard tried to procure the condemnation for heresy of another liberal philosopher gilbert de la Porée, the learned bishop of poitiers the cardinals present at the council opposed him and gilbert was allowed to return in peace to his diocese in the next generation peter the lombard abelard's disciple was made bishop of paris and his sentences sententiae became the standard textbook of medieval theology Bedingar, roselon and abelard were scholars who criticized theology from the standpoint of philosophy there were other twelfth-century reformers who sought to purify the church from within while others again attacked the dogmas of christianity and aimed at replacing the ancient faith by a new religion among christian reformers the most famous were the vaudois waldenses or poor men of lyon the followers of peter valdo a lyon merchant who devoted himself to a life of poverty wandered about the country preaching the gospel and caused portions of the bible to be translated into the vulgar tongue excommunicated as heretics by pope lucius the third the waldenses found sympathizers in burgundy and dauphine and soon spread into lorraine provence italy and spain like the later protestants they desired to restore the primitive simplicity of the catholic church rejected the ordination of priests the worship of saints the belief in purgatory and the doctrine of transubstantiation 
and laid stress on the reading of scripture on prayer and on preaching far more dangerous were the heretics who dared to question the truth of christianity itself from the beginning of the eleventh century the growth of heretical opinions can be traced in northern france and under robert the pious men were burnt at the stake for their religion it is difficult to discover the origin or to define the beliefs of these early heretics the cathari as they are often called but they seem to have had much in common with the albigenses of the thirteenth century the cathari held that the world was governed by two principles one good and one evil and they regarded the whole material universe as the work of the devil the father of evil hence they condemned all bodily pleasures worldly cares and family ties and the perfect cathari were celibates and ascetics these were the priests and leaders of the sect who preached to the believers or ordinary members and administered the consolamentum consolation a sort of baptism conferred by the laying on of hands the cathari did not accept the doctrine of the trinity or the humanity of christ they did not acknowledge the authority of the pope and their activity in denouncing the laxity of the orthodox clergy and in spreading the new teaching was felt to be a serious menace to the influence of catholicism in france during the first half of the twelfth century also provence and languedoc were roused by the preaching of peter de bruy and his disciple henry of lausanne who had wandered from burgundy and switzerland to men and aquitaine declaiming everywhere against the rites and ceremonies of the church though st bernard visited toulouse in person to undo the harm done by the cunning serpent henry of lausanne heretical opinions spread rapidly and the petrobrusians and henricians prepared the way for the albigenses of the southern provinces End of section thirteen